Thank you, Emily. We're continuing this series, and the last couple weeks we've spent, we've focused on Abraham, and we're going to fast forward a little bit, so I want to give us an idea of, of, of what has been kind of going on, transpired since uh, Isaac and Abraham on the mountain, and when, when Abraham was, was uh, told by God to sacrifice Isaac. So what happens is Isaac goes and he gets married to Rebecca, and then they begin having kids, and they actually have two kids, twins, Esau and Jacob. The, the firstborn is Esau, and, and what Scripture says is that Jacob came out with his like hand on his brother, right? Like he wanted to be first, but he couldn't be. And what happened is that Isaac loved Esau. The firstborn. And Rebecca loved Jacob, the secondborn. And what God had told Rebecca before they even had these two children, as they were wrestling, they said, within her womb, God said that the older one, Esau, would serve the younger one, Jacob. And so what Jacob did was he kind of schemed and deceived uh, to get his brother's birthright. And then with the help of his mother, Rebecca, he schemed and, and deceived to get his father to bless him in old age when he couldn't see quite very good anymore to notice the difference between Esau and Jacob anymore. And all this scheming and deceiving causes Jacob to need to flee and run away from his older brother who wants to come and get him, so to speak. And so Jacob, he, he flees and he runs away to Uncle Laban. Uncle Laban is, is going to be like a second family to him. He's going to take him in. But in the process of living with Laban, Jacob meets his match, so to speak. Why, yes, our story just said that, that uh, Jacob would end up marrying Leah and then Rachel. But in more so, Jacob meets his match. The deceiver, the schemer, ends up being deceived himself. Laban matches with Jacob's deceptive nature and and. As I heard that story from the Jesus Storybook Bible, I could not help but feel for Leah. The story talks about the, the beauty of Rachel and how Leah was not. In chapter 29 of Genesis, verse 17, talks about how, how uh, lovely Rachel's figure was. And how she was beautiful. But the only thing that passage says about Leah is that Leah's eyes are weak. Or some translations say they're soft. That doesn't necessarily speak much to us. Perhaps in that day, Leah's eyes were missing that sort of glimmer or that sparkle that perhaps was highly valued in that culture. We perhaps don't know, 
but either way, she's not spoken of as highly as her sister Rachel. Where Scripture says she has a lovely figure and she's beautiful. Beyond that, we, we can feel for her because her father, her own father Laban, uses her as a pawn in a scheme. Marriages, wedding feasts were something that lasted a week of a people partying together and whatnot. You know, if they had COVID, how would they be able to do that, right? Uh, but they did that. They had this idea where they were celebrating and so on. And then usually what would happen is late in the evening, the father would bring the daughter to her husband. It was under the cover of darkness, you could almost say, like the Jesus Storybook Bible said. There's no lamp posts that were around. And what happens, what a special day it was supposed to be. A special day where two people were becoming married turned out to be just tainted by Laban's craftiness. Leah would then be a constant reminder to Jacob of that deception. And out of that, Laban gets seven more years of work out of Jacob. Imagine being Leah during those seven years. Being married to Jacob and the only thing on Jacob's mind is your sister. But Leah at this time is probably used to being ignored. For Scripture says that it's the older that needs to be married before the younger. And and apparently Leah was of marrying age and so was Rachel. And perhaps Leah has been passed over multiple times. And that she lives seven years where a pretty little sister is on the mind of her husband. And perhaps Leah herself even knows that Jacob loves Rachel more. I'm sure being married to a man who did not love her made that rejection that she experienced in life more poignant and more traumatic. What we find as we continue this story is that it kind of fits in with other parts of Scripture that we've seen earlier. The unloved nature of the firstborn. We'll be caught up with the story. Now that that we're caught up with the story, let's read a section from Genesis 29, starting with verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, He enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to a son, she said, Because the Lord heard that I am not loved, He gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again she conceived. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, Now at last, my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. And he was named Levi. 
she conceived again. And when she gave birth to a son, she said, This time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Really, what we see is a tale of two people from the beginning of that first verse. The comparison of Leah and Rachel. Each one seems to desire what the other has. The Lord saw that Leah was not loved, and so He enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless, and Rachel would desire to have children and wasn't able to, but received the love that Leah so desired. And Leah was able to have children, but did not receive the love that she desired. Jacob's lack for love is is clear in this translation and, and in other translations as well. At some point, some of our translations would say the Lord saw that Leah was hated, was the word that's used there. And now, I, I want us to know that the word hate in this specific context at that specific time does not mean that Jacob maliciously detested and and uh, hated the way perhaps we would hear that word used. But what it does mean is that Leah was loved less. It's not that it's not that they were loved equal. It's not that she was just hated and he didn't want to see her at all. But the Lord noticed that she was loved less. One of the themes that we can trace through the beginning of Scripture is that idea of the firstborn being loved less, either by parents or by God Himself. Adam and Eve, they had had three sons. We're going to focus on two of them. We have Cain, who was born first, and Abel, who was born second, and they both bring offerings to God, and yet when God receives the offering, the Lord had no regard for Cain's, but He did have love and regard for Abel's. Seems like the firstborn is a little overlooked. And later on, we we get to the story of Abraham, which we looked at the last two weeks. And and we see how the firstborn of Abraham is actually Ishmael. Abraham loves Ishmael, but God in that situation says, no, He will not be the one who brings about blessing for your family. And later on, Sarah sends him away. In the very next generation, we we have Esau and Jacob. And, And while 
While Isaac loves Esau, Esau is not the one that God plans on using. God's promises would flow through the second born yet again. Now we read something somewhat similar and yet a little bit different. Leah, the firstborn, feels unloved. She's overlooked not only by her father who uses her as a pawn, but also she's overlooked by her own husband. But there's something different. Here, God shows love upon that firstborn. Leah, who would bear the first son of Jacob. But the story would continue because God wouldn't use any of the firstborn again. He would use someone later down. But God saw, we see these words, when the Lord saw. It's a verb in Scripture, saw, that happens often right before God goes to work doing something. And oftentimes, it's not on behalf of those who are highly esteemed. Oftentimes, it's not those who are grand and in grand places. Instead, when the Lord sees, He's going to lift up the lowly. He's going to work on behalf of the oppressed. We see it all throughout Scripture where where God has care and concern for the outcast, for the outsider, for the rejected. A couple months ago, we looked at Psalm 34, and it says this in verse 15, The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous. He hears, His ears are towards their cry. He sees the righteous. He sees their cries for mercy. He sees them when they need to be lifted up. The Lord saw His people too just before He brought them out of exile from Egypt. Well, this is kind of a spoiler alert uh, for where we're going in the story, but that's okay. Just before God liberates His people from Egypt, God saw the people. This is verse 25 of Exodus chapter 2. God saw the people of Israel and God knew and then He went into action bringing about someone to bring them out of that situation, to liberate them. And here the Lord saw. He saw that Leah was not loved and so He enabled her to conceive. Evidence of God's merciful compassion upon her. God opens Leah's womb before He opens the womb of Rachel. The Lord, in the process, gives Leah the greatest status among women in that time. In that time, the the greatest status that a woman could have was bearing son for her husband. And Leah goes on to bear many sons. We had four of them just in this passage. 
her sons will, will make up a portion of the tribe of Israel. And yet, even with the blessing that the Lord gives Leah, the blessing and the standing that she has among women, among her people, the compassion that God has on her and the graciousness He gives to her, she, she looks for something else. She looks for something else and it, it's fueling this tension between these two wives of Jacob. Tension between the loved and the unloved. Tension between the fertile and the infertile. And we can even see it with the way the children are named and the phrases and the statements that the women make after they're born. We'll go back to verse 32. She conceived again and when she gave birth to a son, she said, because the Lord heard I'm not loved, He gave me... Oh, too far. This one. Uh, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben for she said, Because the Lord has seen my misery, surely my husband will see me now. Hoping that this child that she bears, this blessing from the Lord that the Lord has given her, will somehow cause her husband to have love upon her. She's still looking, even though the Lord is working graciously in her life, not to the Lord, but but to her husband for some sense of fulfillment. It happens again in verse 33. Because the Lord heard I am not loved, He gave me this one too. Maybe two will be better than one and, and love will come into my life that my husband will love me. My sister hasn't had any kids yet. She hasn't had any sons. Maybe he'll love me because I've had two. And then again, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I've borne him three sons. Three sons. Just like, like Noah had three sons. Just like Adam had three sons. The, the people of faith, the forefathers of Scripture, they, they had three sons and now he will be attached to me because of that. That's not the case. She doesn't feel any different. And I think perhaps Leah realizes that no amount of sons will cause her to receive love. She realizes it and then she puts her focus in a different spot. Someone who had been loving her the entire time without even her asking. When she gave birth to a son the next time, she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Leah, she changes her tune. Instead of focusing on her husband who had not been loving her as much as Rachel. Instead, she chose to recognize the one who had been loving her the entire time. Realizing she had been loved all along and gives praise to the one who loves. 
the God who loves. The God who chooses to exalt what others have rejected. The God who chooses to love and care for and be merciful to the people who are overlooked. We see God working this way throughout Scripture as He he takes and uses, uses the overlooked people. Often the ones who feel rejected cast aside and, and the ones who feel like they, they don't measure up. God uses Moses and, and what does Moses say? Well, you know, I got the speech problem. You probably want to pick someone else. That's not the case. And then later on, we're going to get to a story, I don't know, somewhere around November, where Samuel is to choose the next king of Israel after Saul. And, and Jesse, the father of these sons that Samuel's looking at, is like, well, we don't really have any more. I got these. They're really great. And God says, well, I'm not looking at the outside. And while these look great, I'd love the kid that you hit out in the field and have watching the flock, David. The Lord does not look at the outer appearance, but He looks deep into the heart. We see it when Jesus preaches the the Sermon on the Mount where He says, blessed are the poor in spirit have the kingdom of heaven, right? Or He says that the meek will inherit the earth. Or He says that blessed are, are you when you're persecuted because it's then that you'll receive your reward, which is in heaven. Taking those who who are experiencing difficult circumstances, but saying you will be elevated at one day. Jesus even says later in Matthew 20, verse 16, that the last will be first and the first will be last. It's the Lord that brings out this kingdom that topples our minds on their heads. No longer are the ones who are high lifted up, exalted, but instead it is the low ones who are brought up. And the high, the ones who feel that they are righteous on their own, who are brought down. And because of that, because of that nature in God, God works through Leah, the rejected, the unloved, the overlooked. And God brings salvation through her. And it's the Lord who comes ultimately, who comes in a similar manner. Leah was rejected and cast aside, and so is Jesus, who is rejected and cast aside, born as a poor man, who would be rejected by his own people and killed. He brought the, the, the salvation not through the achievement of power and victory and military leadership as some were thinking, but instead by way of suffering and death. Perhaps you've heard this piece of Scripture before. Acts 4, verse 11. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected. But He has become the cornerstone, lifting up the rejected 
And it's through this unloved son of Isaac. Jacob. right? And the unloved daughter of Laban. That God wants to bring about one who will be most loved. One who is most loving. Jesus is most loved and most loving because it's Him who brings out this Gospel that turns lives around where weak are strong, repentant are righteous, where people who think they are righteous are rejected. The cross which was looked at as a torture tool is now looked at as a symbol of victory. And Leah gave her praise to God because of Judah. Because of God's continued love for her. And God opened up through Judah a way that we all could praise God just like Leah did. For all people to praise the Creator as they experienced the Creator's love. Let us pray. Lord, we cannot thank You enough for Your love. Love that extends to us at every moment in our lives, even when we feel rejected and unloved like Leah. You're there. We thank You how You brought about this love and work through Leah and Judah and all of those in Jesus' family line to bring us a Savior. One who will continue to work through the weak, the poor, the powerless. Because they're empowered by Your Spirit and not by themselves. Help us to experience that love in your empowering each and every day that we live. Amen. We like